0: And he' his-
1: Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning turn over to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 is where we'll find our passage this morning. It's actually, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 5 and then uh, uh, another place over in 1 Chronicles in chapter 13. It's the uh, same accounting of the same story uh, with... Uh, different parts and uh, different kind of looks at it, but the main portion we'll look at is in 2 Samuel chapter 6 this morning, and uh, appreciate that song so much, and we, we hope that you know this morning, uh, if you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and He loves you very, very much, and wants so much to have a relationship with you and to give you a home in heaven. And uh, we're going to touch on that some this morning, but we would like to uh, look at Second Samuel chapter 6, and uh, in conjunction with Isaiah chapter 55, uh, in verse number 8 and 9, I'll read that too, then we'll look at Second Samuel, but Isaiah writes and tells us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And certainly, as we read this story here, we're going to see two different men uh, in this story. Three different men, really, but two that we want to look at mainly. One by the name of Uzzah, and then another man by the name of Obed-Edom. And we want to look at these two men and, and the difference in their lives and how God worked. We're going to look in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and verse number 1. The Bible tells us, And David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, thirty thousand. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah, to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played Before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place perah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto, uh, unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. We want to look at a a few things this morning, and the title for the message just simply is From the Poor House to the Lord's House. And certainly, we this morning can look in our lives, and we can see that at one time we were just a poor person. We were bankrupt spiritually. We had absolutely nothing going for us, and God reached down and picked us up and put us in His house. And that's the only reason that we can be here today, if we're saved, is by the grace of God. So we want to give you just a few things this morning by way of encouragement, we hope, and then we'll be done. But let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into the message. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray you would take uh, these simple thoughts of the next few moments. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, dear God, in what you've done for us. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us and help us. Dear God, I pray that you would just cleanse me and myself. Oh, God, may may I be out of the way and may your message come forth and fill us with the Spirit this morning. We pray and we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we see here, though, in this story is uh, this accounting of Uzzah. Now, I look at this story and I think he's only doing, he's doing what he should do, I guess. He's trying to help the king bring up the ark of God to Jerusalem. But something that I've learned in my life, as we read in Isaiah chapter 55, is God's ways are not our ways. And if we don't do what God's called us to do, God's way, it's not going to work out well. God gives us His will for our life for a purpose. Straight is the way, the Bible says, and narrow is the path that leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Why is that? Because so many people want to do God's thing, God's, uh, their way. And we have to understand, if we're going to do something for God, we're going to have to do it His way, the Bible way. So the first thing I see in this story is an unfortunate tragedy. What led to this tragedy? What led to the occurrence of this in Uzzah's life? Well, there's three things. You know, I look at Uzzah, and I truly believe that Uzzah was probably a good picture of your everyday, normal, good-natured, respectable Hebrew. I mean... it doesn't tell us anything about Uzzah that would that would put me to think that he was a wicked man, that he was uh, un, unkind or or mean. Or, or I mean, you look at him; he he's here trying to do right, and yet we find that God strikes him down. I mean, just straight up, God strikes him down. And you know, I really doubt that he was a troublemaker or anything, but he had been lulled into a sense of goodness instead of godliness. And that's an unfortunate tragedy in many Christians' lives. I see here that, number one, I believe, and this is what I find in my study, what I think is he was comfortable with God's presence. Comfortable with God's presence. So well, why do you say that? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse number 1, it says, The men of Kirjath Eurom, came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab, who is Uzzah's father, where the ark was housed, it says, "And sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord." Eleazar was not a Levite. The people who were supposed to deal with the ark of God were the Levites, the sons of Levites. So, number one, we see that hey, they're comfortable already with doing things their way. And it says, uh, "While the ark, and it came to pass with the ark abode in Kirjathjearim that the time was long for it was twenty years." Now, I am a second-generation Christian. What that means is my dad was saved when I was born. He, he, I, I was brought up in a, in a good house, a Christian home. He's been a pastor ever since I can remember. And, and he was a pastor before I was even born. And what I find about second-generation gen, Christians and third-generation Christians and those that are brought up in Christians' homes, is they get very comfortable with God. Very very comfortable with God. And I think in Uzzah's life here, we can kind of see that he had been around the ark of God for a long, long time. Twenty years it abode in his dad's house. Twenty years he saw them doing it their way. And twenty years, when it comes time for them to move move the ark of God, it was nothing for him to reach out and do it his way instead of God's way. And I dare say this morning, if you are a second or third or fourth generation Christian, you better be careful to not get comfortable with God. You say, well, well what do you mean by that? I mean taking it in a laxadaisical, lazy manner what God has given you. Because when we do that, when we forget Where we come from, we often lose sight of where we're going. And we get comfortable in our goodness. As Brother Mark Rogers preached, we forget about the direction of godliness in our lives. And so, in Uzzah's life, I see why this happened. I believe he was comfortable with being around the things of God and didn't even think anything about reaching his hand out. I said, well, it's just a natural reaction that's God's business, what happens to the ark. It's, that's where he dwells, the Bible says, between the cherubims. If it was going to fall, it was going to fall. But if you remember, when it was in the land of the Philistines, when they set it down in the house of Dagon, who fell there? Dagon. So they came, and he was fallen before the ark of God. So they set him back up on his place, which I always found interesting. So the next day they came, and what? He was fallen down, and his hands were broke off before the ark of God. So I see in Uzzah's life this morning, maybe he was just a little too comfortable with God's presence. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse number 12, it says, And it shall come to pass that time I will search Jerusalem with candles. And here's a principle that we need to be careful. It says, And punish the men that are settled on their lees, that say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. How many of us are sitting this morning on our lees? We're sitting back on our blessed assurance and we say, Hey, you know, i got a good life. And God, he's good, and it's not bad. We've got to be careful with getting comfortable with the presence of God. And so we see here he was comfortable with the presence of God. He was caught, I see, disregarding God's promise. In Numbers chapter 4 and verse number 15, it says, When Aaron and his sons had made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is set to forward, after that the sons of Kohath, these are the people who are supposed to deal with the ark, shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. Here he puts his hand out to touch the most holy piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And God had said, you touch it, you die. So how could God, who had promised, This is what would happen. Do anything but. I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. We should be thankful that God's promise, although we say, well, that's not a very good promise. It concerned the holy things of God. And he said, you touch it, you die. And what did he do? He died. Very sad. But as soon as he touched it, he sealed his fate. Let me tell you this morning, we touch some things we ought not touch. And we wonder why the promises of God come true in our lives, even though they're not promises we like to claim. We like to claim the ones that God's going to open a window of heaven and pour out a blessing, or all things are going to work together for good. But we forget about, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so here we see he was caught disregarding God's promise. And this is not an unprecedented move because uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 19, just uh, uh, not, or, or in, I'm sorry, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, when they brought the ark up uh, to Uzzah's uh, father's house, the I men had touched the ark and God killed of them 50,000 people. I mean, before it came to his house, this had happened. And so we can't be surprised when God's promises come true over and over again. You know, there's the old uh, saying that history repeats itself. And certainly I can look at my own life and, and when I'm something of an idiot and I do something and, you know, insanity, they say, is doing something over and over again the same way but expecting different results. And so often we'll live our Christian life over and over again the same way, but expect God to bless us when we're not doing it God's way. And so we see here that he was uh, caught disregarding God's promise, and he was cut down by God's power. I mean, he cut him down. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 19, it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, so the Lord. It was his promise what would happen And he paid the bill. And so we see that we have this unexpected tragedy. But this is just one part of this story. The same thing I see here is David, it says, he feared the Lord because of what would happen. And in verse number nine, it says, and David was afraid of the Lord today and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? It says, so David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him uh, into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So we see, secondly here, an unexpected turning. And isn't that the way it is oftentimes in our life? is Maybe there's a tragedy, and yet the bend in the road after the tragedy is just as unexpected as the tragedy. David here was scared of what had happened, even though David should have known he was the king. They are supposed to know the law of God. They are supposed to know the commandments of God. And uh, he should have known full well that this was not the way you carried the ark. So it should not have been of any uh, surprise to David, because it certainly wasn't a surprise to God. And we see here, uh, there is this unexpected turning. And they turn to a place that I see of spiritual poverty. Obed-Edom means simply the servant of Edom. The servant of Edom. A picture of the world there. He was a servant of to that which is a picture of the world. And by all accounts that I have done in my study and reading different commentaries and looking at the times that this man's name is mentioned in the Bible, it says here that Obed-Edom the Gittite. That means Obed-Edom, someone from Gath, which would be a place in Philistine. And, uh, you know, but all the study that I've been able to do tells me that he was a Levite of the tribe that was supposed to serve in the house of God. But somewhere along the line, just as his name says, He ended up becoming a servant to Edom and I wonder sometimes maybe he went down at the same time that Ruth went down with, uh, or that Naomi went down with her husband into the land of Moab uh, because of the famine or what was going on in his life that brought him to this place where he became known as Obed-Edom, the servant of Edom from Gath. And yet as I reflected upon this and I read, I thought how many Christians do we have in our churches that are a child of God? And yet attached to their name is a servant of the world. Because when you look at them, they look like they're from the world. And so we find here, though, that God turned aside into his house. You know, there was a time in my life where if you'd attached anything to my name, it would not have been Jeremiah, a child of God. It would have been Jeremiah, a servant of the world. Because that's the life I was living, even as a child of God, seeking after the things of the flesh, seeking after the things of pleasure, trying to make my own way. And yet one day, God turned aside into my life. I was, uh, let see, it would have been 1999, so 2000. Uh, 1999, January 15th of 1999, I went to work for the Georgia State Patrol. And many of you know my story and and that I wanted to write tickets to Yankees and all these wonderful things that I was going to do. About, I don't know, May of 2000, I was appointed to the 76 Trooper School to go to the training center to become a state trooper. I was excited. This is what I wanted. It's what I wanted. And so I did that, and uh, me and uh, the, the buddies that I had at that time that I worked with, we, we arrived, and man, they, they started trying to kill us immediately. Uh, they acted all nice, and we should have known something was off. They're like, go, find your roommate, find your room, bond, you know, and about ten minutes after we got there, somebody kicked the door in and was screaming in our face to get outside. And we began a, a, a training regimen of... Uh, several hundred push-ups each day, all these different things, and, and it was fun. It was fun. I gotta admit, I enjoyed that, that first week when they, they try to kill you to make you leave. And within the first day, we had 12 guys drop out of school. I mean, we got there in the afternoon, and by nighttime, 12 were gone. The next morning, five more were gone, or, or whatever. And then I mean, we went from, I forget how big a class, down to just very few. And I was enjoying it. I was loving it. And uh, we, we got past the first week, and they still worked us to death, but we started into training now. And uh, we started into driver's training. I enjoy driver's training. We learned how to do a, a, the, where, where you come to a sliding stop, and you got to move between cars and stuff. And we did what they call the skid pan, and it's a, a big parking lot covered with Teflon. So they spray it with Teflon, then they have uh, correction uh, or inmates out there spraying it down with water. So if you take something that's slick already and spray it with water, that makes it really, really slick. And then uh, the, the instructor that I had was Senior Trooper Dickerson. He sounds as mean and nasty as his name is, and uh, he was. And so he had this little thing in his hand, and he said, all right, get up to a certain speed, and you're going to cut through these cones, and, uh, and when, I, when you spin out, recover. Well, in his hand, he had a thing that he could lock up my wheels. That's not very fair. And he would do that, lock it up, you'd recover, he'd do it again, you'd recover, he'd do it again, you'd recover, and then he'd lock them all up, and you don't recover, uh, because you can't. And so you, you take out every cone on the course, and then he yells at you for doing that, when you couldn't help but do it, and then he makes you get out and put them back. So, it's wonderful. And uh, so, went through all that, passed, no problem, whatever, we come to the dumbest course that they had. I mean literally, it was the stupidest course. And it was the first year they had done it. And uh, you had to drive backwards through cones, parallel park, pull out, parallel park, pull back, pull in, pull out, pull forward, then pull back into a parking spot and they clicked the timer. And you had 40 seconds to do that. I'm like, pfft, backing up, that's not a problem. So I get in the car and I whip through 30 seconds. He said, you got to slow down. I'm like, slow down. This is just practice. He goes, you do it too quick and you're reckless. You do it too slow and you're out. I'm like, well, that's really stupid. I mean, honestly, but um, that's the rule. So get in, do it in 35. He goes, okay, you're good. You're good. So we had some guys that couldn't do it, couldn't do it. I don't know what was the matter with them. They couldn't drive, something like that. So he said, uh, you just go over there and wait and we're going to let these guys take your turn. And uh, I said, okay, no problem, I got this. We get back for testing time. This is when it counts. It's when all the marbles uh, are on on the table, everything is ready. I get in, and I whip through it, and I hit a cone. I said, okay, you get two chances, and that's it. I said, okay, not a problem. So I get in. I whip through it, back into the spot. He clicks it, holds it over to the instructor, and the instructor says, you're gone. I said, do what? Was I too quick? He goes, you were too slow. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you have to do it in 40 seconds. I said, 40? He goes, yeah. I said, what'd I do it in? He goes, 40? One. One. One second. Oh, I was hot. I was not happy. And uh, I, I, was, I was very, very upset. And, uh, but there's nothing you can do. See, that, that's the requirement. So I left, went back home, and my post commander said, well, you got a bunch of vacation time built up. Why don't you take a couple weeks and get your mind right and uh, come back and we'll send you back on the next Trooper School. I said, okay. So, I took a couple weeks off. Well, it just so happened that my church was going to youth camp. Now, I will tell you this. The only reason I went to youth camp was because my dad was the pastor. Because any other person would not have taken me to youth camp. Because I was not a very spiritual person at that time. But he took me to youth camp. We turned aside in my life. And during that week of youth camp, they have church. Go figure. And God reached down in my life and turned me around. And showed me honestly how one second saved my life. Because you see, I was going my way, but God had a better way. And He brought me in this unexpected turning to a place of sovereign preparation. The word nation there for the threshing floor, where they turned aside, means a place of preparation. It did not take God unawares that at this particular place, this particular event would happen. And yes, it cost a man his life, but that was by his own choosing. And he turned aside, and the ark of God, the ark of the testimony, the place where God would dwell, went into the house of obed And we see some things begin to change. You know, that day in my life, when one second tore me apart, It ended up being a place that brought me to where God prepared me for him to enter with his presence. I look back and I see the hand of God in that place of sovereign preparation. And there came a significant presence. I mean, God came in. You think about this story here, Obed-Edom... He's just sitting there. He has no idea what's going on. There's a crowd going by. The ark of God is suddenly brought to his front door. And there's a choice. Will he let it in? Will he turn it away? You say, well, that's stupid. It's King David. He's saying, take the ark. What would you do? How many times we turn God away when he's standing at the door? Behold, I stand... At the door and knock. And if any man will open, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. We can look at this man and say, Well, he could have turned, he could have turned it away. That, that would have been stupid. How, how would you do that? And yet, how often do we do that? When God's knocking, when the Holy Spirit is convicting, and we just say, Go away. Go away. You know, We know when God is convicting our heart. I'm convinced that we know it more than we let on. Because I had spent quite a bit of time there living the way I wanted to live, and God convicted me regularly. Why? Because to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And there's this thing called the Holy Spirit, this person called the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That convicts us of our sin, and you cannot get away. Let me tell you something. You don't want to get away. Because in the moment you get away, God might be done. God might be done with your life. And just as Uzzah, he got comfortable with doing it his way. And God took him. We see Obed Edom, who welcomed that presence of God into his life, welcomed him into his house. And the next thing we see here is it becomes a place of sufficient providence. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13, it says, And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. You know, This isn't a message on the family, this isn't a message on the home or anything like that, but I have found when I walk with God, it blesses my family. And here we see Obed-Edom, as he brought God into his home, God blessed. It made a difference in their life that God was there. And we can never discount that. You know, God knows our needs before we even know our needs. He knew that Obed-Edom needed this time with his presence because there was coming a place down the road that he was going to use him. As I was reading about this man, I, you know, I, I've read through the Bible, and I, I, I've, most of the names of the Bible I can kind of recognize. You know, It would be a good game to play sometime. Is this a Bible name or is it not? Uh, because, you know, you could make up some really cool names that are not even in the Bible, and then you could give some names that are in the Bible and be like, there's no way. How do you even spell that? But, uh, you know, we we, we read through it, and and I don't know, but God just pointed me to this man. And here is a man who is minding his own business, so to speak. And God's presence comes by, turns aside because of an unexpected tragedy, Uh, and and comes into his home and begins to bless him because he brought him in. Now, we mentioned already that we are faced with a choice oftentimes. Are we going to let God in or are we going to not let God in? And we've got to understand, if we want the blessings of God upon our lives, but upon the lives of our families, we're going to have to let God in. We're going to have to welcome him in. You know, I, I, I can just imagine the, the, the verse we mentioned just a moment ago out of Revelation where Jesus stands at the door and knocks. I mean, He stands and knocks. The Savior of the world comes to my heart's door and stands and knocks. When you think about that. It, it, it's, it's, you know, the, the other night Brother Newman uh, came and knocked at my door uh, after RU. And I never even heard him. He texted me. I didn't even hear that. He called me. I ignored that. But um, what was he doing? He was trying to get a hold of me because he needed something. You know, the reason Jesus is trying to get a hold of us is because we need something in our lives. And we need someone in our lives. And he is standing there. It's not for his own good. It's for our good. If we will open the door and let him come in. And so we see here that this man, he accepted God into his house, became a place of sufficient providence. God took care. You know, the psalmist writes, David, in Psalms chapter 37, verse 25, I have been young and now old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. There's a story that I read about a young lady over in Africa, uh, Dr. Helen Rosevere was a missionary to Zaire and she told the following story. A mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but only hot, uh, the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the, wa- for the baby and for her sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, now they're in Zaire, Africa. That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as they opened it. Much to their surprise, under some clothing, was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig, exclaiming, if God sent that, I'm sure he sent the doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of the child's sincere request. And five months earlier... He had led a ladies' group to include both of these specific items in that package. We cannot come to an event in our lives that takes God by surprise. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on today. He knew what went on yesterday. And He knows what's coming down the pike tomorrow. And He will not leave us alone. The Bible says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And so we see here that this unexpected tragedy brought about uh, this, this place of unexpected turning. And it brought about an unending testimony. It's interesting as you look at this man called Obed-Edom that later on in this story as we go through here when David comes back in chapter uh, or, or later in this chapter to bring them that Obed-Edom is one of the men that helps take the ark up to the place that it was going to abide in Jerusalem. In 1 Chronicles 15, verse 18, he became a doorkeeper with a purpose. It says, And with them the brethren of the second degree, Zechariah, Ben, and Jeziel Shimaroth, and Jehiel, Unai, and Eliab, and it names all these names. And it comes down and says, And Obed-Edom, the porters. I mean, he went from living with the name Obed-Edom, the servant of the world, the Gittite, from Gath. He went from there to over here. He is now serving in God's house. Serving in God's house. You think about that, that he went from this place of spiritual poverty to a place where God is using him with a purpose. And then, I, I think it's interesting, he was a doorkeeper there in 1 Chronicles Uh, chapter 15, verse number 24, says, And Obed-Edom were doorkeepers for the ark. You know, in Psalms 84, David writes, For a day in in thy course is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And I'll be honest with you, Brother Gene, it brought you to mind. When you got saved, and God brought you from that place of eternal damnation and saved you, Brother Gene keeps our doors here. He's our head usher. He takes care of making sure that those are open, that this one's locked. They, I mean, I see this man here and I think of Brother Gene. Somebody who's just going along his way until somebody took an unexpected turn into his life and the presence of God came in. And they were saved. And then, it's even more interesting. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and in verse 21, it's, it has some more names, Mathai, LFL, And it says, an Obed-Edom, with harps on the Shemetheth to excel. And I looked at that and I said, what in the world is a Shemetheth? It's a six-string instrument. So God brought him from, from a place of spiritual poverty, made him a doorkeeper with a purpose, and then made him a deliverer of praise. He's now singing in the house of God every Sunday I'll see Brother Gene walk right there and wait for prayer and then get into the choir. And that fills my heart. To see where God comes and His presence rests. And it doesn't stop there. It continues on into a purpose for our life. I mean, Obed-Edom here, here he is, he's just living out his life. And God steps in. But honestly, it gets even better. Because not only is he serving in the house of God, and he is keeping the door and singing in the choir, and, and playing this instrument uh, that, that has six strings, I'm guessing maybe a guitar, I'm not sure, maybe he's up here just strumming the guitar, I don't know. Sounds good. But at the end of David's life, It's interesting to see as he's setting up his own king, we find listed among the faithful servants of the king, not Obed-Edom. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 23, it says, So when David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king over Israel, and he gathered together all the princes of Israel, with the priests and the Levites. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 26, he says, Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom. So here's this man living his life, And because of a tragedy, God turns in, not unexpected to God, but unexpected to Obed-Edom. He turns in, he gets filled with the presence of God in his house. He goes and he's serving God, but not just him. His sons are now serving in the house of God. It says, the sons of Obed-Edom. And it lists many, many of these sons. It says, for they were mighty uh, men... Of valor. And then it goes on down through there and it says, All these of the sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men for strength for the service, were three score and two of Obed-Edom. Don't tell me. It's not worth serving God. Because here... Is a man who did it God's way and God's will and got God's reward. Don't tell me it's not worth it. Yeah, there's going to be hard times. Yes, there's going to be low times, but God will provide and God will sustain and God will protect if we do it God's way. He became a dedicated patriarch, and we see his family explode in service for the the glory of God. I mean, I think about men like Dr. Green and how all his kids are in service, in the ministry, serving God. They've died on the mission field. I see how most of his grandkids are in ministry serving God. Why? Because there was a man who made a choice to serve God. And God's presence came in his life. And now he has a legacy following behind him. So we see this this tragedy that occurs. We see God turn aside. We see the rewards of God in this period in, in, in this place. And it makes me think in Ephesians chapter two, and you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we had our conversation in times past, and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And then it turns and says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. Doesn't that sound like the story we just looked at at Obed-Edom's life? God, who is rich in mercy, turned aside with His great love, and even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, the ages to come, talk about having your children serving in Obed-Edom's life. The ages to come, his kids were there, and his kids were there. And if you read about Obed-Edom, even further down when the, the city of Jerusalem was sacked, his children were still there serving in the house of God says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I want his grace. I want his riches in my life. But we're going to have to welcome him in. We're going to have to allow, even though tragedy might come, even though it might be unexpected in our life, it might be something we just have to accept and go on and say, you know, not my will but thine be done. We might not like it. But God can use it to turn aside into our life and see his presence fill us up. You know, I I think back now, and, and, you know, I didn't stop sinning that day that God got a hold of me. I still do wrong. But I try to do right more than I try to do wrong. But the thing is, God moved in and began a work in my life that I did not see coming. Because I, I think, uh, preached a series on uh, relationships a couple years ago and and shared my testimony of the bitterness that was in my heart towards church and towards God and towards the people of God for things that had happened in my life. I did not want to be anything to do with the church. I, I didn't even really want to come to church. I I sat, and no offense, but I sat on the back pew. Why? Because that was the furthest place possible. And if I could get into the sound booth, I would do that. Why? Because it was the furthest place possible, and I could get on my phone. I'm not saying that that's what happens here. I'm saying that's what I was doing. Why? Because God and me were at an impasse. But then God said, you know what? I'm going to give you a chance. And he turned aside. And since then, I can see his blessings. Has there been hard times? Yeah, there's been hard times. There have been rough times. But he turned aside into my life. And shortly after I got right with God, I found a young lady. Guess what? Who was already right with God. Who had been waiting. Doing what was right and waiting. There's a principle there for those that are single and looking. You do what's right, and God will bring you somebody. She was waiting, and God had prepared her to accept whatever came along, and there I was. Desperate times call for desperate measures. But no, He brought her into my life, and she had already been called to do what God wanted me to do. And then God called me to preach. I did not want that. I was not looking for that. I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to school, become a trooper, and then be a good Christian trooper. And not write just Yankees tickets, but other people too. But no, God said, no, 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 no. You done made a turn, and it's going to be different now. And so there comes a choice. My way or God's way? What are we going to do? Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you say, well, I've never even been saved. What what is God going to do with me then? Well, The Bible tells us that God wants to save you that he so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you have a choice to make this morning. We've done our best to preach a message which brings about a time where we will make a choice as to what we will do with it. So will we choose, hey, God's calling, God's talking, God's convicting, and I'm going to deal with that right now. Or we're going to say, you know what, God? No, thank you. And go on our way. You know, I, I look at the 76th Trooper School. And uh, at that particular time in the history of the Georgia State Patrol, uh, my first posting would have been Atlanta, which was about the worst place in the world that you could go. And I look at the men and women that were in that same class that I was in, and many of them have been injured, Some have been killed. And I wonder exactly where I would be had I not turned when God turned. So you have a choice. What will we do with what God's telling us to do? Perhaps he's calling you to salvation this morning. We invite you to come. We're going to have a time of invitation here in just a moment. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not sure, come. And we will have somebody open the Word of God with you and show you how you can know that you know that you're born again. Perhaps God's dealing in your life and you're on a path away from God. Come and get it right. It's not fun living a life contrary to the will of God. I can testify to that. I tried. I wanted to. And I thank God that He wouldn't let me. Father, we just thank You so much for Your Word. And Lord, we don't know who's here, but we don't know what they need in their lives. But God, this was Your message, and it's Your Word. And we pray, dear Heavenly Father, that You would work in the hearts of those that have heard Your Word this morning. And touch them, dear God, we pray. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.